Hi, I'm Lori Denning, and welcome to my podcast, The 20-Minute Scriptorian, where I explore the LDS scriptures and the path of the disciple of Christ. I'm a longtime gospel doctrine teacher, sometime institute and seminary teacher, and a current theology student. My friends and I are often discussing history, context, and theology, and thought that you might appreciate it too. I think of it as a bridge between academic and inspiration. However, these opinions are my own and not an official representation of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Thanks again for listening, and I hope this will be a blessing to you on the road to discipleship. Welcome back, Scriptorians. I'm Lori, and we are still in Come Follow Me for Hebrews, and it is just getting better and better. So hang on while we are going to jump into Hebrews 5 through 8, A Better Way. All right, so let's do a quick review. We this we're on our like fourth episode or fifth or whatever on the book of Hebrews because it is one of my favorites and it has so much powerful information for us that I think it's worth staying on for a little bit longer. So I want to do this episode, maybe one more, just to finish up uh, Hebrews. So stick with me. But we quickly let's review. So we did an episode where we talked about kind of who it's for, the context, and that's the all about. And then we hit chapters one and two, really talking about Jesus being the great high priest. And then we jumped into three and four, where Christ is a greater way. And now today I want to change gears, continue on with the letter or the sermon with five through eight. And it's really where it's starting to ramp up. So it's really some of the best stuff. So I just, I know I say that every time, but every time I read through this, I'm like, wow, this is so good. So um, let's jump in and find out what the author of Hebrews and what he's trying to write to these members. Now, remember, the members of the church at this point, are probably fairly new, and they're probably coming from a Hebrew background. They're probably Jews, and so there seems to be some tendency to fall back or not understand. So there seems to be a lot of coaxing and coaching and reminding and teaching to say, don't go back. There's something greater. In fact, uh, if you go back and read through, you will find that the word better, the better way, is used more in the book of Hebrews than the entire New Testament combined. So it's definitely one of the themes is that there's a better way. I want to contrast that, though. It's not a good and bad way. It's a better way. So it's a, it was a good way before, but this is the better way. So it wasn't a bad way, the, the law of Moses. It was all pointing to this better, higher way. And that's really the point that we start to get to in chapter 5 through 8. So in chapters 5 through 8, there's uh, you have kind of two things that are going to happen. So as you recall in reading through it, that you're going to see a couple of things. In first 5 and 6, you're going to see some of this kind of admonishment. Um, I'm going to read one of them out of 5 and see if you don't recognize what this admonishment or what this kind of coaxing is. It's almost an aside. So you're going to see this, Jesus is this, and Christ is the better way, and, and then pause and aside. And here it is. So I'm going to do Hebrews 5, 11 through 14. I have plenty to say about all this, but it may be hard to make it clear because your capacity to take things in has become sluggish. Yes, by now you really should have become teachers, but you need someone to teach you the basic elementary beginnings of God's oracles. You need milk, not solid food. Everyone who drinks milk, you see, is unskilled in the word of God's justice. Such people are just babies. Mature people need solid food. And by mature, I mean people people whose faculties have been trained by experience to distinguish good from evil. So this seems kind of, wow, harsh, right? You're like, 
are these people just not ready for this new message? And I hesitate. I, it's always easy as a in the present, right? Look back, oh, those dummies. Uh, we're so much smarter today. Um, but I don't think we are. I think we have some of the same challenges. And I think he's saying, hey, um, I want to talk more about this, but you guys keep going back to the milk. And, and we're ready for meat. And um, you need more food. He's being kind of ironic here. So he's saying, hey, we... You need more. You need to step it up a little bit. So it's it's this admonishment that you need to be ready for the next step. So he moves right on and he says, and he's moving right on in six. So let's be leave behind this basic level of teaching about the Messiah and go on towards maturity. Let's not repeat the performance of laying a foundation of repentance from dead works and faith towards God, teaching about baptisms, laying on of hands and resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. We shall do this if God allows us to. For once, people have been enlightened when they've tasted the heavenly gift and have had a share of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the coming age. It's impossible to restore them again to repentance if they fall away, since they're crucifying God's Son all over again on their own account and holding him up to contempt. You see when... Uh, okay, let's start there. Let's start there. So, again, this author is telling us, Let's leave behind the basics. Let's leave behind the basics. And did you catch what he said the basics were? It's it, it takes your breath away a little bit, right? He's like, let's not go back and just teach about um, foundational things like repentance and uh, works and baptism and laying on of hands and resurrection of the de dead and eternal judgment. Let's move on to something else. I think what we have to recognize here to really grasp what he's saying is that he's not saying these are bad things. It's that he's saying these are fundamentals. We should know these things by now. Um, that's a little bit shocking, right? Don't we teach those fundamentals almost every Sunday? But I think he's trying to say, hey, it's time for us to move on. There's so much more for us to learn. We know those by now. So he's not saying they're all bad. So I don't want you to go, what? They're casting out these ideas. He's saying they're fundamentals and we know them. And, and you guys, there's much more out there. So... You know, put your big boy pants on. We're jumping in to greater things. And he is anxious to teach us about them. And so that's kind of what he says. A couple of things I want to call out with that where he says, let's not um, let's not repeat the performance of laying a foundation. Like, let's not go back and do that again. And uh, dead works by faith. He, this isn't faith versus works so much as it's probably the belief that where they were in their day and age, where they had a lot of practices that were uh, very much rites and symbols and you just did your sacrifice and you moved on, you you weren't realizing you had to change inside that, that these things were symbolic and you had to have the Holy Spirit work within you and change your heart. He's saying, don't, don't go back to those old practices, whether you're Greek or Jewish or whatever of the time and phrase. So don't, don't get confused by that. Um, but he is saying these things aren't bad, baptism, laying on of hands. He's just saying they're the fundamentals and there's more out there. And in fact, I love what he says next where he says, um, for once people have been enlightened, they have, and this is how you can tell, they have one tasted the heavenly gift. They have, something's changed in them, right? Once they've had a conversion, once they've had the spirit, once they have sung the song of redeeming love, as it says in Alma 5, once they have had a mighty change of heart, once they've had that enlightenment, they have tasted that heavenly gift, they've had a share of the Holy Spirit, they've and then kind of a list. They have tasted the good word of God. 
when they get into the scriptures, it is just a taste. It is just something you savor and you just, you need more. And you're like, oh, remember that. And then, uh, and the powers of the coming age, you can look and say, there's going to be a future when heaven and earth will be combined, when right, things will be set right. And you had a, a glimpse of that better life. Um, and and you, oh, you, you crave that as well. So you've had that, seen that. And he's, he's saying it's impossible to restore them again to repentance if they fall away. He's saying it's someone who just walks away from all this stuff. It's really hard to come back. So it, it sounds like people at the time were uh, had been converted, uh, become Christian, and then maybe oh, I'm going back to my old ways. And he's saying, hey, caution, it's really tough. It's not impossible. But he's saying if you had that, that song in your heart and that Holy Ghost speaking to you, and then you left, it's really hard to come back. It's really hard to come back. So warning, don't, don't let that happen to you. Don't let that happen to you, uh, but keep moving on. Um, so I love that list of, of the things that kind of change when you're enlightened, right? You see the light, you uh, begin to experience a new life, you taste the heavenly gift, you have a, had a share of the Holy Ghost, you taste the good word. I love the taste, you taste the powers of the coming age. It's something you've tasted and you're like, oh, I want more of that. I, I see what's out there, I crave it. And so he's saying you long for this new world, this new gospel life, and you're you're wanting to be made ready for it. So don't go back because there's more to be had. Now, go back to that list again. He talked, that was the list of our changes, but then he said there were some rudimentary teachings, some basics, some fundamentals. Uh, repentance, uh, let's see, faith, baptism, resurrection. Well, that's kind of a surprise that those are basics, isn't it? Um, those sound like the ABCs, but they sound like, profound things. I think today we, would, we wouldn't be able to be much different. We'd say, yeah, we're still teaching the fundamentals too. So ask yourself, are those things that I really understand? Am I ready to move on? Because the author of Hebrews is challenging us. They're great things, but there's more. Okay, so that's kind of where he goes. I want to teach deeper truths. They're, they're more than the basics. Uh, we want to move on. And then he has this harsh thing, right? This falling away of crucifying God again. He has, uh, remember, some of these people that maybe have fallen away. And so he's just very cautioning over that. All right, moving on, uh, continuing on into Hebrews 6, 9. So he uh, says, even though, I'm on uh, verse 9 and three twelve. even though I speak in this way, my dear people, I am confident that there are better things to be said about you. Things that point to salvation, God is not unjust after all, and he'd have to, he'd have to be uh, if he forgot your work and the love you showed for his name and for all the service you've rendered and are still rendering to his people. He says, of course, he's just, he remembers what you've done so far. I want to encourage each one of you to show the same energetic enthusiasm for the task bringing your hope to its full assured goal. You must have become, you must, mustn't become lazy. These are people who are inheriting the promises through faith and patience and you should copy them. Uh, so he's just, again, same idea, right? This coaxing that it's time to move on. Um, again, he's trying to say there's there's not anything that we can do to earn God's favor, right? We don't, we don't, we don't earn salvation, but what we do matters a great deal. Uh, any 
we can any of us can say that right that this this discipleship this path of the disciple is a tough one and it does matter what we do although we don't earn salvation what we do does matter so he is reminding us that that our lives in this path of of being a member is one of energy and enthusiasm and patience and hard work and you know you don't want to don't get lazy don't get lazy so what he's doing is he's he's building up for this next second half of the book so he is before i kind of open the book up and tell you what this new better way and really hit this one two punch i don't you know be ready because here it comes so here's the teaching that he's going to have so he's going to remind us that god has a promise and i love the way he says it in 6 13 uh he says uh 17 so it's actually 6 17 so when God wanted to show all the more clearly to the heirs of the promise just how unchangeable his will was, he guaranteed it with an oath so that through two unchangeable things in which it is impossible that God should tell a lie, those of us who have come for refuge should have solid encouragement to take hope, hold of the hope which lies before us. We have this hope like an anchor, secure, solid, and penetrating to the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus had gone in ahead of us and on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the according to Melchizedek. So the author is telling us that there was this promise and God is good with his word. We've talked about that a little bit before, say in Romans, it's a common theme in the New Testament is that God is faithful, that he is believable, that he will make good his promises. I think that's a little bit foreign to us. I think we always say, of course, I have faith that he would do what he says. Um, but do we? Do we say all of those things that he's promised? Maybe not for me. Maybe it's for other people. Or maybe I'm not worthy enough. Or he's saying, no, the things that he's promised, he's good. He's good on his word. He is like an anchor, secure, solid. And it goes all the way back behind the curtain. So you're like, what is he talking about? And then he flips the script one more time. He, he kind of delves into this second metaphor of the temple or the tabernacle, tabernacle. Now remember, this would have been very common to them, and it's pretty familiar to us as well. But in the ancient temple, when you went from the holy place into the holy of holies, there was a veil, a curtain. And behind that curtain in the holy of holies was the very seat of heaven. It was the uh, Ark of the Covenant, which was either the, the throne or the place where uh, God's feet rested on his throne, he either sat on it or his feet were on it, but it was his throne. And it isn't just a symbol. It is where heaven and earth met. It is where it is the house of the Lord, and he is there. And so when the ancient priest before Christ would go in, he could only go in once a year on this day of atonement, and they would sacrifice a, um, a sheep. No, sheep, yeah. And then he would take the blood, and he would go in, and he would sprinkle it on the altar. And that was to purify himself first, and then he would go back out and then he would come back in now that he's purified and then he would sprinkle the blood on the altar to uh to get atonement for the people but first he had to 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 get into the lord's presence and to gain his presence he had to be pure he had to be holy and so he this ancient high priest the Aaronic high priest had to purify himself first and then cross over so what's this reference then so he's saying the Lord is this anchor. Um, God, uh, Jesus is this anchor, secure, solid, and penetrating into the inner place behind the curtain. 
where Jesus has gone in ahead of us and on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. He's a new high priest. This high priest of Melchizedek is not one that has to purify himself, and he is he has secured a place for us with his priesthood. This high priesthood of Melchizedek is the higher priesthood, and it's going to secure a place for us where we can enter back into God's presence. Wow, great, great reference, right? So it's a little bit deep, but I think we can follow that so far. All right. And then he goes on again to talk about Melchizedek. Now, I've talked about that before, right? That the Melchizedek priesthood is the higher priesthood. We know that. And so that he, the author is reminding the Hebrews that the ancient priesthood was just a, a preparatory priesthood and this higher priesthood, one without genealogy, didn't have to be from Aaron, right? This is, that's why he doesn't have a father and a mother. It's not without genealogy. It's God himself appoints it. And also it doesn't end when you die. There isn't a, a new high priest all the time. Jesus is the high priest forever. And because he is resurrected and alive, he will always be the high priest. He will always be there interceding for us um, and our behalf on this priesthood. So he's, he's, oh, this is greater, right? This is building. It's better. It's greater. Okay. Um, and again, that high priesthood continues on to the present time, right? It's, it's not something that's going to end. It's going to continue on. So he goes on there. And then even right into seven, he says it again. And so there is... There was this old law, there's this new law, and it's a better hope. It's not that the old law was bad. It's better, right? Good and better. So he talks a better hope that we can draw near God, that this new priesthood lets us draw nearer to God. So pretty cool, pretty cool. He goes on to continue on that theme still in 7, right? They, that Christ had become this guarantee of a better covenant. So you're going to see uh, a couple of things that that we kind of parallel in these verses. So back to chapter one and two, Jesus, this great high priest, and he uses Psalms eight. Then in the second section, which is kind of three and four, he uses Psalm 95. He's greater um, than Christ is greater, uh, is the better way. Then five through eight, he's going to use Psalm 110 and then move into Jeremiah 31. And he quotes so much Old Testament, right? But he's saying there's a new covenant. So it's, there's a reality yet to come. There is beyond today, there is more. And that is what Christ's great promise is. So pay attention because this priesthood is permanent and it is a guarantee of this better covenant. Pretty cool. So let's jump over to Hebrews 8 then. And this is where, this is the big switch, right? This is the big point. So listen carefully. The point of all this now appears. No, let me read that again. Here's the big point. <laughs> so as we are gathering all this information, we jump into chapter 8. The point of all this now appears. We have just such a high priest who sat down on the right hand of the throne of the heavenly majesty as a minister of the holy things and of the true tabernacle, the one made by God rather than humans. And he said, now you see, I'm going to skip down to chapter, verse 6. Now you see, Jesus has obtained a vastly superior ministry. In the same way, he is the mediator of a better covenant, which is established on better promises. Christ is the great mediator. Christ is the better way. Christ, the new covenant, is the better way, way we can get closer to God. 
So just like that crossing into the Holy of Holies is going into heaven, he's saying Christ is this, uh, this pattern of the temple, this pattern of entering back in Christ where he, he split the veil of the temple, he made it possible for us to enter back in. Now we can enter in th through his sacrifice. This is a contrast uh, to how it was before, right? Now it's not about the sacrifice of the lamb. The sacrifice is complete. Now he can usher us back into God's presence, this higher covenant, this better way. And in uh, 7 through 13, he has this really big quote. It's the biggest quote we have from the Old Testament is where he is quoting a Jeremiah 31. And I'm just going to read one section. It's one of my favorite sections. Um, it says, uh, They didn't remain after all in my covenant. This is talking about Egypt. And I ceased to care for them. This is the covenant I will establish after those days with the house of Israel. My laws will I place in their minds, says the Lord, and write it on their hearts. Thus shall I be God for all of them. They'll be my people indeed. No more will they instruct one another or teach their own neighbor to know me, the Lord. For from the least to the greatest, each one shall know me. For I shall be merciful to their injustices. And as for their sins, I'll forget them forever. This is the promise in Jeremiah that since the old covenant, right? They forgot that and they sinned. But he says, I will change their minds and I will change their hearts with this new covenant. And no one will have to teach anybody because they're, they're already going to know the Lord because they've changed inside. That's the great new way of Christ. That is the great new way. He says that I will write it, I will place it in their minds, and I will write it on their hearts. Thus shall I be their God for all of them, and they will be my people indeed. Ah, oh, can you just not, this is just the gospel in a nutshell. It is so awesome. So this is where he's saying there's this better way, right? So this is where he's built up. He's reminded us of this better way. And then he's going to move on. All right. Well, that is our next section of the Bet Christ is the Better Way. We will finish up next time. Thanks, Scriptorians, and keep on reading.